Hello, and welcome to Firewheel Bible Fellowship, where we strive to be Christ-centered and gospel-focused. Here's what's happening at Firewheel. A great serving opportunity we have at Firewheel is King's Closet, a clothing ministry benefiting the homeless of Dallas. Come sort clothes for those in need every second Saturday from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. April 7th is Good Friday, and we will be having a special service that night at 6.30 p.m. Easter Sunday, bring the family as we celebrate our risen Savior with worship and baptisms. There will be no 9.30 a.m. activities, and child care will only be available for two and under. If you are interested in being baptized, visit the Connection Center in the lobby to pick up a form, and a pastor will contact you. Summer is right around the corner, and you know what that means, camps and VBS. Teen camp for ages 13 through 18 will be June 26th through July 1st. Junior camp for kids age eight and have completed second grade through age 12 and completed sixth grade will be July 10th through 15th. Registration is open now. Turn in a registration form and $60 deposit by April 16th. Register online or pick up a registration form at the Connection Center. There are a limited number of spots, so register early. Any late registrations will be added to a wait list. If you'd like to sponsor a child for camp, contact Barbara at firewheelfellowship.com. And don't forget to add VBS to your summer calendar. VBS will be the week of July 24th. For more information about anything going on around Firewheel, go online to firewheelfellowship.com or you can always check us out on social media. Good morning, Firewheel. How are you today? You guys ready to worship God? Yeah? So, as you can tell, it's dark out there, and I apologize. Um, our lights are still being worked on, so that's why you're in the dark, um, and I apologize. But, hey, we're still going to worship God this morning, right? Amen. Grateful that you hear us when we shout your praise. 
Let me hear you, church. sound great all right so right now we are going to tell five other people that we are happy they are here on palm sunday you guys okay with that all right fellowship is an act of worship let's do it in the dark sorry Dear Heavenly Father, first of all, we just thank you for this morning. And we just thank you that you got us out of bed this morning. You brought us to church to worship you. God, this morning, help us to remember that this is not about us. Palm Sunday is about you. Easter is about you and not about us. But help us to want to give, uh, give you the worship you deserve. Just uh, be with us this morning. God, we thank you. And all God's people said...
morning. So this time in the service is we uh, basically give ourselves a little reminder of why we are here. And seeing we are here first and foremost because of Jesus Christ. See, we talk about next Sunday being Resurrection Sunday. Well, guess what? Every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday here. And so uh, communion serves a purpose, and the purpose of communion as you look around the auditorium is that when you look around, you'll see wafers of bread, and you see the vials of juice, and they are symbolic, they are representative of Christ's broken body and his blood shed on the cross for you and I. Something that he chose to do. See, I've heard people say before that Jesus' life was taken from him, and that's not true. See, Jesus chose to give up his life for you and I. That's the kind of God that we serve. We read the following scripture. Apostle Peter says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By Jesus' wounds, we have been healed. We also read the following scripture from the book of Luke. And Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Let's pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, Lord, we thank you for Jesus Christ, for his death on the cross, for the resurrection, for his ascension. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for the forgiveness of our sins. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy, and we thank you for your love. My prayer, Father, is that this act of communion would not be a routine, but that it would be pleasing to you, Father. Pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. The communion tables are now open.
You guys will stand and worship with us. We have uh, one more song for you this morning.
as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips are free to So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. If you feel comfortable, we're going to sing this chorus again, and I just want you to lift up your hands. God, we just thank you for this morning. Man, we just thank you. Uh, man, we are in love with your presence. Man, your presence provides peace and love and compassion over us when we don't deserve it. So, God, we thank you for that. God, please just give Adrian the words to speak and just give us the, the ears to listen today. God, we love you and we thank you. And all God's people say once again, amen. Amen and amen. <clears throat> How great it is to be loved by him, isn't it? So good morning, Firewheel family, and good morning to all of you who are joining us online. It is great to be with you on Palm Sunday. Interestingly enough, when we were talking a little bit about Palm Sunday uh, before the service began, think about this. Triumphantly, Jesus enters into Jerusalem for the last time. Everybody's singing praise, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. And 24 hours later, saying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Interesting juxtaposition between those two realities uh, of what happens. But here we are, and we are getting into the beginning of Passion Week, as we call it. And uh, it's really exciting as Easter Sunday is next week, and Good Friday service coming up this Friday. So I'm excited about all of those things, and I hope that you'll be able to join us. <clears throat> so this morning, we are continuing on in our sermon series. We began a number of weeks ago called The Table, thus the table that is set before you. And I hope that you've begun during this sermon series to think about the image of the table and the role that it plays, not only within your home, potentially, but also within the context of the church community and to those who are outside of the church. Remember, this is a metaphor or an image. A table is a place where we gather. It's a place where we commune together. It's a place where we share meals, we share thoughts, we share conversations. And last week, I hope that today, as you took communion, that last week's message resonated with you. Because last week we talked about 
the Lord's table. And we built our theology of communion last week. If you were not here last week, I would strongly urge you, we take communion every single week here unabashedly at Fire Real Bible Fellowship. Not only because we're, it's not because it's a routine or a ritual, because it's an act of worship. And because historically that's what the church has done. Every time they gather together, they would gather together and take communion. And so if you did not, you weren't here last week, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that. And hopefully it brings a, a level of depth and nuance to what we do every single Sunday. So as we talked about communion, we saw that the Lord's table causes us to do four things. Number one is it causes us to look backwards. That is the historical context. It's grounded in history and reality. It's grounded in a, uh, where Jesus takes a common Passover and it links to the history of the people of Israel, and he brings new meaning into it, into the New Testament. So there is a historical precedent where God has rescued and delivered his people, and then that is uh, symbolized in what he does when he breaks his body and sh uh, shares the, the cup around the table. We saw how the Lord's table causes us to look around. It's a thing that we do in community. It's not something that we do singularly. Jesus was with his disciples as he passed and he instituted this thing that we practice. It causes us to look deeper because Jesus says, this is the new covenant in my blood. So there's signif something significant about what Jesus is doing. And then we also saw that it causes us to look forward because it's a foretaste of the kingdom to come. Jesus said that I wouldn't do this again when he was telling his disciples until they are with him in his presence, but there is a hopeful expectation, there is a reality to where in the kingdom to come, we will sit with the actual Passover lamb himself, and we will feast, and we will remember everything that he has done, and we will say glory be to God, and we will say hallelujah, and we will praise his name for it. Our one true statement was that communion is the costliest meal we will ever consume. Communion is the costliest meal we will ever consume. So as we continue on in this series, I've called today's message, Bad Table Manners, okay? Now, how many of you grew up in a household where table manners were important? Any of y'all grew up in a household where table manners were important? There was a certain etiquette around the table. As you joined together for dinner, there were certain things that you had to do. There was a right way to do things, a wrong way to do things. There was a right way to act, and you know that your mom or the, your dad looked at you across the table with just the look, and you knew you were doing something wrong. Okay, you didn't know if, you, you just knew that something was up, that you didn't act the right way according to the etiquette of the table. Now many of us have been to some type of formal gathering before, some type of formal meal, maybe perhaps at a wedding or even a three or four course meal that you went for a special occasion where you were served multiple dishes, there was multiple levels of uh, placeware and flatware that you needed. Now, I told y'all before that I come from the urban inner city. When my family usually ate around the table, which we did, it still was on paper plates. We had regular plates, but we still, we still use paper plates most of the time, and that's how we were eating around the table. So I didn't know until I met my wife about certain, uh, I didn't know what certain pieces of dishware were. I'm like, why is there like three plates, you know? I didn't know what a charger was. Who knows? I didn't know what that was. You know, so a charger just looks like a really glorified plate to me. So sometimes I would eat on the charger and then realize very quickly, you're not supposed to do that, okay? So... And the different types of forks and all that other stuff. But I have to tell you a funny story. So a number of years ago, my family and I, my mom treated us and we went to an all-inclusive 
in Cancun, Mexico, one of the best vacations we ever had. My niece at the time was five years old. And at the all-inclusive, they had a number of different restaurants, and one of them was an upscale restaurant. And so once we got reservations into the upscale restaurant, then we wanted to go there every single night, and the food was amazing. But at this restaurant, they had place settings that were set up very formally. And so Jen is here giving my niece an etiquette lesson. She's telling her what all the different, why there's a fork that sits up at the top. I didn't know that, right? So this why there's a fork that sits up at the top. So dessert forks and salad forks and multiple plates and all that other stuff. So she's giving her kind of a lesson as she's walking her through these pieces of silverware. And I, no word of a lie, every single day after we ate, she would say, Titi, this is the salad fork. Titi, this is the dinner fork. And she would go, she'd go one by one. She'd be rehearsing what she had learned. It was the cutest thing ever. So, and she would do this every single night. So now some of you, maybe you grew up like me, where you didn't, it wasn't so formal around your table. Some of you are probably saying in the crowd right now, Pastor, you didn't grow up in my house. You know, so. But the reality is, is that regardless of whether we use plastic wear or whether we use more formal wear, when we are around the table, there's something to be said when people have bad table manners. Let me give you a few examples of common bad table manners, and I'm sure I wonder... One time or another, you were guilty of these as well. So tell me if some of these resonate with you. Number one, don't speak with your mouth full. Okay? Nobody wants to see what you're chewing. Okay? The reality is, and the reason why we say that is because it's unpleasant to see, and when you hear, it makes people, you can't hear them when they're trying to speak. Okay? It's distracting, so don't speak with your mouth full. Perhaps you heard your parents tell you this one as well. Don't reach over somebody. So if the salt is across the table or the sugar that you want, don't be putting your arm up into people's personal space right across their face as you're trying to reach across to get some salt and get some pepper. So it's, you know, it's invading people's personal space. How about another one? Don't chew with your mouth open. It's distracting and people often don't realize they're doing it. How about this one? Keep your elbows off the table. So, you know, when you eat, you eat like this, you know, don't do that. Keep your elbows off the table. They got to be at the side, you know, kind of like looking like a T-Rex dinosaur, you know. It's like, you kind of keep them at the side. And here's one that I would add to the list. Don't talk or text on the phone while you're at the table. Uh, there was uh, my brother and sister, when they first got their first cell phones and had learned to text, they would be they would be like pros. They would, not, they would memorize the keypad and they'd be underneath the table just texting one-handed while they were eating. And it was like so distracting. I knew what they were doing, but they'd sit there and they'd be texting with one hand. We could joke about all these things because we have done them and experienced them, but there's a certain etiquette that we display when we're around the table. But here's the, catch, here's the kicker that we're going to learn this morning. There were some folks in the Corinthian church who had some bad table manners and the way that they acted around the metaphorical table cost the relational connection that God wanted them to have to have true biblical community. So you and I need to recognize that there's a certain etiquette in the way in which we act with one another when we say that we are a loving Christian community. When we call ourselves the local church and we want to be a loving expression of the body of Christ, then there is certain etiquette and ways that we should act and interact toward one another. There's ways that we should display love toward one another. There are things that should be off limits. There are things that are not appropriate for community for us to be able to engage in. 
Here's my one true statement for you this morning. Community is not about me, it's all about we. Community is not about me, it's all about we. If you have a Bible this morning, you want to open up to us or follow along on the screen, we're going to find ourselves in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting at verse 17, and we're going to look through the end of the chapter through verse 34. If you have some familiarity with this section of Scripture, it's because the middle portion of Scripture is often where Paul gives a teaching on the Lord's Supper. But it's very interesting, especially because we talked about the Lord's Supper this week. I purposely put this message here because the way that he sandwiches what comes before and comes after when he gives these little four or five verses on the Lord's Supper, the context is really important. And we're going to see that today as we develop that. And I think this elaborates even further what we talked about last week. So this morning we're going to see these two things about community. Number one, that community is not about me. And that number two, community is about we. So let's start by just looking at the context real quickly. In chapter 11, starting at verse 2, Paul commends the Corinthians for keeping the traditions that he passed on to them. But then he goes on to bring some correction about issues that had popped up in the church. He starts off by talking about the issue of women wearing head coverings in a church setting. That's a loaded situation. We could talk about that offline. But that's not where we want to camp anyway. But as he's going through these different issues, it brings us to the section we're going to explore where the Apostle Paul is very upset about divisions that exist within the church. And these divisions exist even when they celebrate the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper is something that's not supposed to represent division, it's something that's supposed to represent unity. And so here he is as kind of a spiritual leader speaking into this church and saying, hey, these divisions are not proper, this is not good for us. As you celebrate the Lord's Supper, something that's supposed to bring you together, yet you are so divided. And he's going to bring a little bit of course correction to that. Let's start at verse 17. So we're going to talk about how community is not about me. Starting at verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. That's a negative imperative. He's saying, I don't give you praise for this one. I started off by praising you about you keeping the traditions we've held down to you, but now I'm going to bring some correction. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. So here he goes, giving a stern rebuke. That when they come together to celebrate the Lord's Supper, they are harming each other rather than walking in Christ-like love and unity. A table is a place that brings people together. But because of the bad table manners of a selected few, people were feeling excluded, as we will see as we continue on in the passage. Verse 18. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part... Next verse, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. So listen to what the apostle is saying here. He's saying that he recognizes that there are divisions and factions, kind of two words used interchangeably, that speaking of some fracturing of relationships and non-unity in the context of when these people are coming together, that is causing harm. As we continue on in the passage, if you look down to verses 21 and 22, we're not going to read them right at this moment, but one of the reasons that he highlights why there's divisions and factions within the Corinthian church is they are dividing and fracturing along socioeconomic lines. 
there are those who are more wealthy and those who are more poor, and the wealthy are not treating the poor with respect in relationship to what they're doing. This is one of many things, if you read the book of 1 Corinthians, this church had a lot of issues. I preached a sermon series, one of my very first sermon series I ever preached, I preached on the book of 1 Corinthians, and I called the ancient church modern problems. Because here's a church that we read about, and there's many of these issues that still continue along today. But I want to make a statement here and talk a little bit and unpack this a little bit of why do we still have factions like this even within the context of the church as well? Why do we still have divisions? Why do we still lack unity in many ways? As the body of Christ kind of universally, but then also when it comes to local expressions of the body of Christ as well. Here's a principle for you. Community is not about proximity. It's about participation. Let me say that again. Community is not about proximity. It is about participation. Community is something that you intentionally have to build. It does not happen because you share the same space. Let me say that again. Community is something you intentionally have to build. It is not something that happens because you share the same space. Just because people get together doesn't mean that they have true community. It's clearly evidenced in this text. In this text, there are people getting together. They're doing the, the thing of the local church. They're gathering together. But what a sobering reality that we could share the same space and yet be divided. That we could share the same space and yet not reflect the unity that God wants us to reflect. That's humbling to think about. I do think that personally as a church, that we are a loving group of people. And as a community, we have to be intentional about doing life together. About each of us per, uh, recognizing that we are participants active within this community. That we want to share the love and the grace and mercy of Jesus to one another. That we would encourage one another. We would challenge one another when it's necessary. That we would be true, loving, biblical community. Did you know that all the churches for about the first 200 plus years of the church after the resurrection of Jesus, if you believe like I do that the church began at Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, then for the, about the first couple hundred years of the church, all of the churches that met, or the word that we use for church, anytime the people of God were gathered together, they gathered together in homes. They were basically house churches. There was no physical building for them to go to. It wasn't like the Old Testament where they had a tabernacle or they had a temple where they went to worship. But even when they went to worship for the temple, it wasn't an organized thing. There were certain times that they were going and interacting with the temple. But for us to do what we do every single Sunday, to have a facility to go to, for us to be able to do that, that was not common. That wasn't until like 300 years into church history. So... When the church gathered together for what we would call a worship service like we are doing now, it'd be in the home of a person, 30 to 40 people would get together, and in the home of a wealthy person, maybe they could fit upwards of 100 plus people, but church buildings did not exist. Look at verse 20. When you come together, it is not for the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, and another gets drunk. So Paul, he's still talking about this. We're talking about community, it's not about me. Paul rebukes them again, essentially saying, I don't know what you're celebrating. 
You're coming together and you're saying you're celebrating the Lord's Supper, but in eating, what you're doing is you're preferring yourself over others and the wine, yes, they did use wine, the wine that you're, we're using for the Lord's Supper, y'all just getting drunk off it. So I have no idea what you're saying you're celebrating. You're calling it the Lord's Supper, but you definitely ain't reflecting the way that this thing is supposed to be. It's something that was celebrated in these house churches as part of these different feasts. They called them agape feasts, love feasts. It was an element of the feast which symbolized what brought them together. Why are they in meeting in a home? Why are they connected as a community? They're connected because of Jesus. Kevin said it today, the very reason why we're together is because of Jesus. And so because we're together because of Jesus, these, these individuals would come to a home representative of a community unified together because of Jesus and they would celebrate the Lord's Supper as a reflection of that unity and say this is what's brought us together. And Paul is saying here, the essence of the heart of what is being expressed when we celebrate the Lord's Supper is not being expressed in what y'all are doing. What y'all are doing is showing that you're selfish and you don't care for one another. You're preferring yourself over others and you're misabusing the elements to your own excess. It all becomes self-centered. The Lord's Supper is the celebration of a selfless act of Christ. His death on behalf of others. But at this celebration in Corinth, it turned into a display of selfishness and disunity. Here is this meal. They would come and they would have a meal. Every person was to participate. Every person, whether you were poor or whether you were rich, were to bring food and to bring drink to this meal. Those who were wealthier could bring more than those who were poor. They brought very little, if anything at all, but every person was able to participate, and they were expected to participate. Sharing was the name of the game. Problem being is that people were eating their own food that they brought and getting drunk with the wine that they brought. Can you imagine, think about this in almost our terms. Sometimes illustrations don't always hit one-to-one, -one, okay? But think about this in the, church of a, the context of a church potluck. Any of y'all have been to a church potluck? We've had some here before, right? Y'all have been to church potluck? Can you imagine somebody bringing something to a church potluck? They bring your favorite dish, and you know that person's known for that dish. Oh, man, if you grew up with church potlucks, you knew that there were certain items that you were, expect, you were hoping were on the table. And so you knew when you got into line, sometimes you were elbowing people in front of the line because you wanted to get you some because you knew so-and-so was bringing those special beans or so-and-so was bringing that special dish. Now, that being said, can you imagine that person bringing that dish that you so desperately wanted to, do, wanted to eat and they just went to the side and they just sat there in front of everybody else and just started lathering big spoons of it and just were eating it and weren't sharing it with nobody. Yeah, man, these beans are so good. I'm telling you, you know, this is so good. Oh, man, this is my best batch yet. And they just sitting there, they just chewing it up. They loving it in front of everybody else, but ain't sharing it with nobody. Right? Doesn't make any sense. Look at verse 22. <laughs> I love Paul, what he says here. So let's look back at verse, let's, let me read verse 20 to 22, because I love the way that this flows together. So verse 20, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. And then he says in verse 22, what? What are y'all doing? It's like emphatic, it's like, what? What are you doing? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? 
Or do you despise the church of God? Listen to this, though. Man, listen to the change and listen to the stern rebuke and kind of this righteous anger that he gets toward this. He says, or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? By sitting there and eating the meal that you brought, you're humiliating the people that have nothing. What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Heck no. Ain't no way I'm patting you on the back and commending you for that. What you're doing is wrong. What are you doing? I love how he says, do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? We could say Paul's attitude is this. If this is what you do when you get together for church and to celebrate the Lord's Supper, you might as well stay at home. You have houses to eat and drink in, just stay at home. Because what you're doing is not reflecting what we're about. What you're doing is not reflecting the unity for which Christ died. What you're doing is not the spirit of what Christ came to build. Just go eat and drink at home. If you're going to act like that. Paul did not stand for those who were, had more to parade it around those who had less and to not share, show their care and their love for the covenant community that they were part of. Here's a principle for you before we move on to the next section. There is no class system in Christianity. There is no class system in Christianity. Ladies and gentlemen, before the cross, we are all broken sinners desperately in need of a savior. Every single day that we wake up is because of the mercy and grace of God. Every single day we are in desperate need from him. We are all created in his image and his likeness and has nothing to do with what's tied to your bank account. There is no class system. There is no VIP, so to speak, section for those in Christianity. And the reality is, is that we can fall into that trap, and when we fall into that trap, we are not producing and we are not showing the true heart of true biblical community. True biblical community is when millionaires can worship together alongside with somebody from the projects because they have a common bond over their brokenness spiritually that only Jesus could remedy and he is the one who brings them together under the banner because they are both poor and both in need of a savior. True biblical community is from the ghetto to the White House. It doesn't matter. Every person from every walk of life, from every socioeconomic class or background, Every age, every race, all together under a banner of one. His name is Jesus. That's what it means to be part of the church. There is no me. It's not about me when it comes to community. Look at verse 33. Jump down. Community is all about we. So let me make a brief statement very quickly. We're not going to look at the middle section where Paul kind of breaks down the theology of the Lord's Supper. But the reason why I'm skipping down and making this point is because you have to see this in this context. Paul is challenging them because of the disunity they have. So when he tells them in verses 23 through 26 that there's a resulting judgment that comes from not honoring the Lord's table, you have to take the context into mind. So when Paul says there's judgment among them, some are weak, sick, and die among them, why is the reason? The reason is because they did not show sacrificial Christ-like type of love for one another evidenced by Jesus himself as he instituted the Lord's Supper. So the very elements that they take are turn from symbols of worship to symbols of judgment because they do not reflect the heart of what they actually mean. That's what he's challenging them about. He's saying, 
you understand the theology of the Lord's Supper, but you're not walking out the theology in practice. So since you're not walking it out in practice, I'm not commending you. What's going on? Why are you doing what you're doing? That's why those are weak, sick, and die among you. Those who reap judgment on themselves. When we read this passage and we read it in isolation, I grew up where this passage was always stated when it came to the Lord's Supper and it was always taken out of context. This passage was always brought up like saying, okay, you got to make sure that before you take the Lord's Supper, you got to get all your sins right with Jesus and that you got to make sure that you're all right. And it was kind of like this whole thing, like this condemnation kind of guilt thing, or else you might literally die if you take the Lord's Supper. That's false. That doesn't fit the context of the passage, nor does it fit the other ways in which we look at and we see what Jesus talked about when he talked about communion. What he's saying is the reason why people are weak, sick, and die among them is because they are not taking the Lord's table in a worthy manner because they're living in disunity with their fellow brother and they're not expressing the love and unity of Jesus. That's what he's talking about. Look at verse 33. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, talking about this meal and then celebrating the Lord's Supper in the context of this meal, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. I love that very practical advice. So that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. Listen to the context. It will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. Here's Paul's very simple solution. When y'all get together, you have a church potluck. You know that, oh, okay, let me actually, let's take this back. Let's make this a little bit more personal. Everybody have that person in their family that you invite to dinner and you know they're always going to be late? Anybody y'all have one of those people, right? Some of y'all not raising your hand because you are that person. Okay? Don't worry. Somebody from your family is going to tell you after this service you that person. Okay? But here's the deal. It's like you know that person going to be late. You want to be proper and you want to try to wait for that person to be able to eat. So eat a snack or something else on the side. You know, don't start digging into the main course of the meal. If you invite them over for turkey, then all of a sudden they get there, all that's left is gizzards and bones. Then, you know what I mean? You haven't done right by them in that way. He's saying, hey, just eat a little something at your house so that way you ain't acting selfishly when you come together because it's not about you. It's not about you getting your fix, getting your fill, getting your meal, being the first to the table. It's not about you. I love that. He says, just wait. Just wait. Why are they to wait? This shows proper honor. And especially shows honor to the poor as part of this local community. It shows honor to God, truly expressing and reflecting what the Lord's Supper is all about, where everybody comes to the table at the same time in same need, so to speak is where true community can be expressed. Verse 34 is so practical. When he says that, he says just to eat at home. These love feasts were at times where the gospel could be demonstrated not only through the celebration of the Lord's Supper, but also through the love demonstrated to one another. One of the hardest challenges of all of Scripture and one of the most poignant truths and I think this resonates for us, Firewheel. We say you are loved, right? This needs to resonate with us. One of the most poignant truths in all scriptures, Jesus said, they will know me by the way you know, love one another. That's a challenging reality, isn't it? It's not always easy. People are messy. I'm messy. 
I got my own stuff. I got my own baggage. I don't always respond the right way. I don't always say the right thing. There are times when I may let you down. There will be times when we may interact and I may say something that may be something that's not appropriate to you. It's the nature of human relationships. But at the end of the day, we are challenged as the people of God that those out there, everybody else will know us by the way we love one another. It's a challenge to us. And this is what these feasts represented. When they came together, it was an opportunity to demonstrate the gospel. This advice that Paul is giving is to be followed so the church would not bring judgment upon themselves by not celebrating the Lord's Supper in a way in, that was worthy, in a manner that was worthy of him. Here's the last principle that we're going to summarize and close. True biblical community leads us to look beyond ourselves. True biblical community leads us to look beyond ourselves. If I could say it this way, God did not create you and I as to be the people of God, to be consumer Christians. We live in a culture where we consume. It's really easy just to consume. It's for me, I consume, I binge, I whatever you want to insert your adjective, but the reality is, is that at the, at the heart of it, what it is is just saying, I want whatever feed me. And here's the sad thing. I hear a lot of times people come up to me in church and be like, well, pastor, I just don't feel fed. I don't feel fed today. I'm like, hmm, that's actually bad theology. My job as the pastor is not to supposedly meet your need to be fed. Can we be real for a moment? My role, so to speak, is to preach the gospel. My role is to present the word of God that I could just be a vessel to be used for his glory to present the unadulterated word of God. That's my role. Whether or not that jives with you and you are supposedly fed from that, that's between you and God. But here's the deal. I'm not saying that when we come to church that we don't experience and we hear a message or sometimes that things definitely resonate and hit with us. What I am saying is that the church is not about what I get. That's very American. That's very Western. That's not biblical. It's not about just what I get from people. It's not about what I just get from God. It's what do I give to God as my act of worship. It's what do I do when I come together with the people of God. What do we do collectively when we worship our king together? What do we do collectively when we gather together when it's not about us and it's about his name be lifted up? Scripture tells us that if he is lifted up, he will draw people to him. That's, that's what we do when we gather. We come under the banner of Jesus. We come humbly, broken, absolutely in need of him, and saying, I come with nothing to give except my life, and I'm giving it to you. I'm bringing it to you. It's not about you. It's not about me. One of the sayings that we say all the time is the church is the people. I believe that to a degree. Here's what I mean. The church is the people. Every individual, we're called the body of Christ. The body is comprised of parts. So as a body is comprised of parts, every individual is part of that body. However, the church isn't just what we do. The church is by nature who we are. 
And the church by nature of who we are isn't just individualistic. The church is when we gather, something's happening. But the church isn't just about gathering, okay? That's an element of it. But the church is about gathering. That's one element. The church is about learning. The church is about mission. There is something that we are to do as well. But all of those things collectively together are in the plural. You are part of the church. And as part of the church, as a member of the church, as a piece, so to speak, of the body, using that illustration, yes, the people of God are the church. The church is in a physical location. We understand that. But to be a people, to be a body, means to be whole. And sometimes I think that we fall into the trap where we think that being part of the church, so to speak, is something that we just do individualistically. That while I come to church on Sunday, yes, I pay my tithe, I come to be fed, I come to worship, I do this, I do that, or whatever, and I, I go about my business. But that's not what it means to be part of the church. I believe that God is calling his people to stop getting away, not to be on the sidelines, not to be consumers. The question is, do you want to just come to the church or do you want to be the church? Do you want to come to a location to meet with people who may think like you to some degree and have a good time and maybe even learn a few things or do you want to be part of the people of God? Do you want to engage in something that God came, he died for, to build in order to transform the world? The church is not only local, it's global, it's universal, it's past, present, and future. It is the new covenant people of God, empowered and indwelt by the Spirit. That's who the church is. So when we say we are the church, look at that, Siri's getting happy. I preach Siri happy. She's responding. She's like, those empowered by the Spirit. <laughs> Way to go, Siri. So, sorry about me getting on my soapbox a little bit, but when we gather on Sunday mornings, when we have Bible studies, when we do church events, when we do all of these things, we may be able to create an atmosphere or have systems in place at Firewheel to serve and to love one another and to build community. But you as an individual have to make the choice. Do you want to attend or do you want to participate? Do you want to attend or do you want to participate? Do you want to attend or do you want to participate? Do you want to attend or do you want to participate? Do you want to just be the church in name or do you want to be part of something? Do you want to be the church? Because that, ladies and gentlemen, those joined together, empowered by the Spirit, celebrating the Lord's Supper, doing all of these things, that, ladies and gentlemen, those walking in love with one another, that is what will create an atmosphere and welcoming community for those who desperately need Jesus. Let's not like, be like the Corinthians. Let's not have bad table manners. Let's not make it about me. Let's make it about we. Let's summarize and close. So our one true statement this morning was that community is not about me, it's about we. There are no haves and have-nots. We're all broke, spiritually speaking. So community involves the participation of all peoples. 
that are under the banner of Jesus. Community is about the collective we. God does not want us to be consumer Christians because he's never, it's never about just us as an individual. True biblical community causes us to look outside and beyond ourselves to the needs of others. So that's my challenge to you today. How can you walk out of this today and put this into practice? My challenge to you is to think of others. This is the underlying theme of this message because the church of Corinth failed to think of and serve the needs of others because in doing so, they were not accurately reflecting what the Lord's Supper was all about. When they came together in community, they were in proximity to each other, but they didn't have true community. And so we say as a church that you are loved and we're all about love in this place, and I believe that and I, I love that, genuinely. Let's be known for loving one another, not only amongst ourselves, but as the needs of those who are in the community. Invite them to the proverbial table, so to speak, that they may experience the love of a true biblical community. Let's be the church, ladies and gentlemen. Let's pray. So Lord, we do love you. And we thank you that you have called us out of something into something. You called us out of the kingdom of darkness and you brought us into the kingdom of your dear son. You called us out of that darkness and you brought us into the light. You have now brought us into this thing called the body of Christ. And as we think about what it means to be part of the church, Lord, I look at these Corinthians and I realize that it's not just a problem that's an ancient problem, but it's a modern problem as well. There are many times, unfortunately, where we come selfishly, we come very individualistically, and we don't realize the necessity and the, and the importance of what it means to be connected, unified under the banner of Jesus. So Lord, I pray that here locally at Firewheel Bible Fellowship that we would be a people that would reflect that well. That, Lord, where every person from every different kind of walk of life, whatever it may be, may be able to rub shoulders together, so to speak, and be able to worship together in unison before the cross. Because the cross humbles all of us. And I think that's why Paul makes it a point of talking about the Lord's Supper in this context. Because it's not, when we touch these elements every Sunday, when we participate in it, we are reminded of the corporate identity that we have that Christ has died for a people, for a body. And Lord, I pray that you always keep that at the forefront of our minds. So Lord, we love you and we praise you. And we recognize our great need for you always. It's in Jesus' most precious and holy name we could pray. Amen. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come forward and we're going to take an opportunity for prayer. So if you have a prayer need today, uh, we'd love to have the opportunity to be able to pray with you. Uh, one of these precious saints would love to do that. So you remember that if you're part of Firewall every Sunday, we do this, but then also we take an opportunity to worship. So whether you want to stand or whether you want to sit, this is not a spectator time. We're not just watching and receiving, so to speak, but what we're doing is we're giving. So I would ask that you would think about maybe some of the elements of this message and just give your worship to God as if he's the only one in the room. Let's take an opportunity to pray and to worship.
that that is resonates with you I hope that you want to strip it all away and you just want him for nothing else will satisfy in this life except Jesus amen I'm gonna ask the ushers to come forward and be able to uh, we're gonna worship the Lord through giving it is hard to leave that holy moment 
If you're a guest here, first time here at Firewall, we're really glad that you uh, chose to worship with us today. We know that there are many places you could choose to worship, and we are grateful that you are here. Uh, we'd love for you to please uh, visit our Connection Center as you exit the auditorium. One of our guest services attendants would love to give you a special gift for worshiping with us. And if you'd like to provide some information to us, then you can. Uh, you can either that, do that digitally through the QR code on the screen or at the guest services uh, table. We'd love to see how we can come alongside of you wherever you're at in your spiritual journey, but no strings attached. We just want to say, hey, thank you for being here with us today. So let me go ahead and pray over the offering. We'll show you a few announcements to get you, to get you dismissed. So, Lord, we are grateful that we have the opportunity to give as an act of worship. We thank you that you are the giver of all things. And, Lord, we are so dependent upon you. We're dependent upon you as individuals and as a church for your provision. We thank you and pray that you would bless the gift and the giver, cause it to multiply for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Hello, and welcome to Firewheel Bible Fellowship, where we strive to be Christ-centered and gospel-focused. Here's what's happening at Firewheel. A great serving opportunity we have at Firewheel is King's Closet, a clothing ministry benefiting the homeless of Dallas. Come sort clothes for those in need every second Saturday from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. April 7th is Good Friday, and we will be having a special service that night at 6.30 p.m. Easter Sunday, bring the family as we celebrate our risen Savior with worship and baptisms. There will be no 9.30 a.m. activities, and child care will only be available for two and under. If you are interested in being baptized, visit the Connection Center in the lobby to pick up a form, and a pastor will contact you. Summer is right around the corner, and you know what that means, camps and VBS. Teen camp for ages 13 through 18 will be June 26th through July 1st. Junior camp for kids age eight and have completed second grade through age 12 and completed sixth grade will be July 10th through 15th. Registration is open now. Turn in a registration form and $60 deposit by April 16th. Register online or pick up a registration form at the Connection Center. There are a limited number of spots, so register early. Any late registrations will be added to a wait list. If you'd like to sponsor a child for camp, contact Barbara at firewheelfellowship.com. And don't forget to add VBS to your summer calendar. VBS will be the week of July 24th. For more information about anything going on around Firewheel, go online to firewheelfellowship.com or you can always check us out on social media. Amen. All right, if we go ahead and get you to stand, we'll go ahead and pray our benediction over you, get you dismissed. <clears throat> So may the Lord go before you to light the path and give you direction. May he go behind you to guide your steps. May he go beside you to keep you from stumbling. May he go above you to protect you. And may he go within you to give you the power of the Holy Spirit. And may our Father in heaven always grant you the character that is greater than your gifts and humility that is greater than your influence. God bless you guys. We love you all so much. We'll see you on Good Friday. You are dismissed. Mm.